When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Unsackable Podcast. I am your host or just a co-host today. We all host together. It's it's a mess here, right? We don't even know who hosts this podcast anymore. But what we do know is that Manuel is not here today. So I will be doing most of the talking. Hi, I'm Filippo Silva. And today I'm joined by Adrian Sosa. Did I pronounce it correctly, Adrian? Because I'm good with Portuguese. Yeah, I mean, look, I've heard Sosa, I've heard Sousa, I've heard Sousa, I've heard it all. And I, you know, I don't really care to correct people. But, you know, as a Portuguese person, or sorry, you're Brazilian, my bad, my bad. But someone yeah. who speaks Portuguese, you get a pass to say it however you like. I don't really care. I would, I would call you, if you were in Brazil, I would call you Adrian Sousa. There you go. That That works for me. I love the sound of that. You know what? I'm going to say something that's going to piss off my own people in a sense i personally right. like the sound of brazilian portuguese over portuguese portuguese it's, I, it's I, a lot more it rolls off the tongue nicer it's more sing-songy it's a lot nicer current portuguese from the continent sounds a little bit russian at the moment doesn't it it's, <laughs> ch- it's choppy dude it's very very choppy uh <laughs> that's sort of how they, they talk too but but yeah, I, I you know, I could be a little biased on this, uh, but I agree with you. So maybe we should get the opinion of Josh. I don't know if he's heard Portuguese from Portugal and Portuguese from Brazil. Josh, what's your take as a complete neutral? I can't say I'm familiar with, with the sounds really of either or the difference of either. But um, the first time I ever heard you speak... Uh, in Portuguese, Filippo. It was very nice. I did a project in uh, in college on... Uh, it, it was supposed to be... I, I took a Spanish class and I convinced my prof to let me do it on Brazil because everyone else was... You know, there's only certain so many countries that speak Spanish, so I convinced her to let me do it on Brazil. So, um, yeah. Other than that, no, I don't know a lot about it. So, I mean, that was interesting to hear, Filippo. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I think you just got to get an interview from Neymar and then one from Cristiano, and then you have to just compare and see which Portuguese you like the most. All right, beautiful. I can do that. Yeah, we've got to figure that out in the next episode of Unsackable Podcast. And hey, if you're on Twitter, if you are leaving a review, let us know which Portuguese do you prefer and why is it Brazilian Portuguese. But today we have a lot to talk about. We're going to do a quick European overview of what happened in the UEFA Champions League, possibly a little bit on the Europa League. I didn't follow along as much for that. We'll talk about how CONCACAF players did in the Champions League. That includes Americans, Mexicans, Canadians, Jamaicans, Hondurans, whoever played. 
And then we'll talk briefly about Cristiano Ronaldo, what's going on with Portugal, a little bit of a Portuguese World Cup talk. Last but not least, we'll wrap things up with MLS Decision Day that will be this weekend. So, boys, why don't we start with the UEFA Champions League? I'll, I'll go to Josh first. Did you watch any games? I did. I did. It was a uh, it was a good week. I watched uh, I watched four games. The first one was the Bayern match. Now, I didn't expect that to be a close one by any stretch. It wasn't, but I mean, they they dominated the match. They won five nothing. They looked very very good. Leroy Sané is hitting a entirely different type of form right now. And then I followed up by watching Club Bruges against Atletico Madrid. Um, I think Club Rouge is a story that we should we should touch on. I think Bruges what they did is incredible. I know for a fact every single one of us for our our uh, predictions took a look at that group and put Club Rouge bottom and said they didn't really have a fighting chance. Now they're topping the group six points clear of second place. So incredible story. They were deserving winners, and Atletico Madrid once again looked uh, just I don't know just a little, little poor, a little lost, not no true identity of really how to break down this team when they play a certain way. And then on, on Wednesday, I uh, kind of flipped back and forth between the Chelsea game because they, they got a pretty impressive lead. And I was also keeping an eye on the uh, Dortmund game, which, again, was a bit of a bit of a runaway. So uh, those are the kind of games I kept a special eye on. So I'm curious to hear which ones that you guys uh, watched. Yeah. So before I, Adrian, just one second before I give it to you here, just to update everyone. I don't know if it's Club Bruges or Club Brugge. All right. I've heard people say it in different ways, depending on where they, they're from in Belgium. But Club Brugge leads the group with nine points, as Josh was saying. Porto, Leverkusen, and Atletico Madrid had three. So honestly, Club Brugge is essentially one draw in three games away from advancing. They scored seven goals in three games, and they allowed none. So that is quite impressive, and it pretty much shut my mouth, Josh's, and Adrian's. But Adrian, go ahead. Well, I was just going to bring up sort of what Josh touched upon there is that Atletico continue to look a little bit shaky and weird. And this sort of feels like the story of the last couple of seasons since they won La Liga in a somewhat surprising fashion um, a couple of years ago. It's, it feels like the same story where they, they play poorly and then they get a little run of form and then they look good again and everyone's hailing Simeone. Oh, yes, he's done it again. But I think that legitimate questions can start to be asked of Diego Simeone and what he's doing with the side because it feels like it's just not working anymore. And you see that happen with these sort of long-term appointments. I mean, he's been there forever. He's done unquestionably incredible things for the club. You know, he brought them to a level that they hadn't been to before. He won European trophies with them. But at what point does that sort of start to, that good faith in him and that good sort of credit that he has in the bank with the club start to run out a little bit, right, Josh? What do you think on that? I love when we bring up Atletico Madrid, Adrian. I feel like we have like a low-key passion behind the scenes. I mean, as a lot of you guys know, Simeone's always been my favorite manager. He doesn't play the, the prettiest style, which which we know, but he plays... I just I just praise him for grabbing a, a team in the past that maybe didn't have the most talent and is able to get them to incredible heights. And then it almost seemed like when the more talent came in, the harder the job came for him. Um, but to touch on it, yeah, I mean, he's been here for so long and he's gone through slumps before where he you know, couldn't replicate the the Champions League finals or the league titles. He's had shaky starts and the club always sticks with him, which is a is something that I, I want to praise for Atletico Madrid. It's not not something that a lot of big clubs like that can do. He's been there for coming up on eleven seasons in January and he's done some incredible, incredible things. But I, I specifically want to touch on this season because I do think that it's a little bit awkward. I want to get your guys' take on it as well. Because I've never in my lifetime seen a situation where a manager had to restrict the number of minutes from one of the players he wants to be their stars. If you guys don't know what I'm talking about, Antoine Griezmann, apparently that there was a rumor that he had to play 50% of his matches for 
the automatic purchase option to activate and then Atletico would owe Barcelona 40 million. So instead of trying to activate it, Simeone was told from the club to go out of his way to play Griezmann basically for the last third of each and every match to start the season. So considering how much Simeone loves Griezmann and Griezmann loves Simeone and he's supposed to be a a big part of this club and you can see when he comes on the pitch how much everything kind of goes through him to only be able to use him one third of the time was a little frustrating and Simeone just said I'm I'm a man of the club I have to do what they basically said so that just got put to bed the the purchase has been dropped from 40 million down to 20 million Griezmann is now allowed I guess to play as much minutes as he possibly wants so Adrian I want to throw it back to you do you think that maybe do you think that's a, as big of a deal as I'm kind of making it out to be that Simeone with one of the players he really wants to utilize because we we've talked about numerous times about how poor Chao Felix has been do you think now this is even worse for Chao Felix? He'll be on the bench. And do you think now that Griezmann is fully available to Simeone, maybe this is an opportunity to g- gain a little bit of m- momentum? Potentially, yeah. But I think that that's a little bit worrying if you have a manager whose success is so so much predicated on one single player. And like you said, they brought in so much talent, attacking talent, all these different guys that haven't really panned out or haven't panned out to the extent that they thought that they would. You know, Jean Felix, this has been... <laughs> I know that he's put in some goals and assists here and there, but for the most part, it's been a little bit of a nightmare transfer. And, you know, I'll hold my hand up as being a big Zhuang Felix defender, but he just hasn't looked the part. Now, is that down to a breakdown in relationship with Diego Simeone or not? Because it feels like they're constantly playing defense of, oh, haha, there's nothing wrong between Zhuang Felix and Diego Simeone, but we always see Zhuang Felix storming off the pitch, storming down the tunnel, et cetera, et cetera. So I think if you're putting... All of his success predicated on one single player. That is a little bit worrying if you're the club and this manager needs one player. But I can see the flip side of it where there's a lot of clubs where there's so much of their success is on one single player. It's so important to their success. I think that personally, um, like I sort of alluded to earlier, Diego Simeone has done incredible things for the club. And like you said, he's gone through slumps and come back and won La Liga like he did a couple of years ago. But it just feels like the cycle sort of coming to an end and you kind of get diminishing returns once you've been at a club for so long. It's very, very rare in modern football to have managers that stick around at a club this long. Um, Honestly, I'm really, this is a bad answer because I'm so split on it, Josh. I have a lot of respect for Diego Simeone. And I think that based on what he's done for the club, what, how he has elevated them already, he does deserve the opportunity to turn things around. But I feel like I've said that many times over the last couple of years and when do you say okay it's best for all parties if we try to get someone else in here that can move the club forward it's difficult you know it's it's like people trying to let go of Cristiano Ronaldo being a starter for Portugal it's a scary sort of future because you're so used to seeing that and so seeing an Atleti without Diego Simeone running up and down the pitch it's got to be a scary sort of future a lot of uncertainty surrounds it so I can understand why they want to stick around with him yeah, I, I'll, I mean, I'll throw it over to, to Tack to you and we can maybe move on. But I guess from, from my point of view, because I totally agree. I mean, if if you need to rely on Griezmann to come in and completely change the fortunes, obviously you're not in the, the best of state. But I do think Griezmann's look pretty good and, and relatively fresh right now because he hasn't played a lot. But in my opinion, when I look at Atletico, they've had seasons in the past where they were playing catch-up, poor starts this season, had to make up. They always found a way to get into the Champions League, which obviously, you know, is the end goal. They obviously don't, they want to win the league, but they always find a way. And then they've even had seasons where they finished third in the Champions League, gone to the Europa League, and went on and won it. So even though it's not the worst start in La Liga, it's not a great start either in Champions League, but I still feel like time will never be an issue with Simeone. I personally believe that he will never get sacked. 
one one day he will just decide that my time has has come and I'm he's time to walk on and I think it's, the proof is there just from poor starts in the season and the Champions League in the past, but he just got so much goodwill that I think the club just almost owe it to him. She's like, let us know when it's your time to move on, when you want to go and manage Argentina or Inter or Lazio or someone like that. But I don't know, Felipe, what do you think? Well, very quickly, I do think the Griezmann situation definitely doesn't help him, but there's definitely more to it. But But at the end of the day, like you all said, We've seen Simeone struggle with Atletico Madrid so many times and come out of it stronger. So I would, I would wait a bit longer. We'll see how he bounces back maybe even this season. We've seen him have bad seasons and come back and do incredible things. So I, I would still wait a bit more. It's still early in the season. And we're going to have a full World Cup break that can change a lot of things. It's going to be a different Euro season this time around. But yeah, Adrian, what's up? I just wanted to make it clear. I do not think that Diego Simeone should be sacked. Just so everyone knows. I think that he deserves the chance to turn things around always. And he should always be assessed at the end of each season. And I actually agree with Josh in that it should be his choice when to go. So just, I'm not anti-Simeone guys, just so it's out there. (laughs) Yeah. So just moving on, because I want to move us to a different topic in the Champions League, which is Group A. Right, Group A has a few fascinating, sto- interesting stories to talk about, and I think the first one we can go into is Napoli. Right, I even had to go check because I haven't been following Napoli much because I didn't really expect much of them this season. Right, I really didn't. They lost a lot of key players, one of them even in Major League Soccer in Sini. But I even had to go check their starting eleven to see if maybe they signed Diego Maradona and Careca again because all of a sudden this team is just killing everyone ahead of them. They're just amazing. In the Serie A, they lead the league with 20 points. They have six wins and two draws in eight games. They've scored 18 goals. They've only allowed six. They have 20 points. They're tied with Atalanta in first. And in the Champions League, which they have a fairly tough group, right, with Liverpool and Ajax in it, they've won all three games. They lead Group A with nine points, 13 goals scored, two goals allowed, with Liverpool behind them, Ajax behind them, and Rangers from Scotland behind them as well. So here's my question to both of you, because I haven't been following Napoli, but right now I'm going to start doing that. What's happening right there? Does anyone know? Is anyone, was anyone actually expecting Napoli to be like this? Josh, Adrian? Josh, you got your hand up. What's up? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll start. I, I wouldn't say I, I, I expected them to, to be top of the table by any stretch, but there was a lot of criticisms leading into the start of the season that they didn't replenish the squad in a lot of different ways, even though they they did bring in a lot of quality players, but you ma- talked about some of the quality at left. I mean, like legends of this side, but it's also it was always legends that kind of fell a little bit short with this Napoli side. There's always been re- very good teams over the past few years that never got over the line. This club wants to win the Scudetto. They've been close, but they had Mar- Adris Mertens who left. They had Insigne left. They had Kubali who left. And for me, at least, it was just the, it's not only one player that stepped up. It's the amount of different players. When you look at, they're basically confirmed starting 11. You have so much talent in there. Kim has come in at the back end and has been an absolute beast. This was a man who's playing in the Chinese Super League not a few years ago before moving over to, I believe it was Fenerbahce, who then he got his move over to Napoli. So huge, like incredible jump for him over a couple of seasons. And then for me, really, the attacking talent is fun. I mean, Raspadori came in. He's looked very good. Ossiman is out and this team is still flying. Uh, Simeone, uh, basically the super sub that has scored uh, Ver- Veradona. So you mentioned if there's a if there's a Maradona, there's a Veradona who's come in, and this little Georgian is absolutely incredible. But for me, and I want to I want to see what Adrian agrees. It's the midfield. The midfield is 
absolutely fantastic. Th- two players for me that really stepped up. Zelensky's always been a player that's um, performed. Uh, he, he's versatile. He can play as the 10, drop down as the 8. But Labodka and, and Gisa have been phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal this season. They're a big part of the reasons why the ball has stayed out of Napoli's net. They've switched in transition. There's an attacking side as well. I mean, in the last in that 6-1 win, Gisa got two assists as well. So for me, the most impressive thing is, despite how much fun it is to watch the attack, it's that three-man midfield. And I mean, Spalletti's done an incredible job. And I think this is right now one of the biggest opportunities for Napoli to finally go home and maybe take on that Scudetto opportunity. Yeah, the, the midfield is huge. I mean, getting Nguisa in there, and also they brought in Ndombele as well, and he's starting to get better and better because he's a player who has sort of chronically been almost seen as an underperformer in the eyes of some of his former managers, that you can see the talent there, but he just isn't, I don't know whether it's, I don't want to say it's a commitment issue or what it is exactly, but it seems like Spalletti is finally the guy that has a system that suits him, and he's starting to come off of the bench and really make an impact. But yeah, Nguisa was one of those players that, I remember when he was at Fulham and everyone was sort of like, what is this guy doing at Fulham? Like his talents are almost wasted being at a club like this. So seeing him at Napoli and really thriving there in that spine that they have, you know, that like you mentioned, Kim Min Jae, who came in to fill in for Koulibaly, there was no guarantee that anyone was going to be able to fill the shoes of Koulibaly. And I wouldn't even go that far as to say that he has done so as far as all of the things that Koulibaly offered that back line, as far as his distribution, etc. But at the very least, they still have that strong spine of Kim and then Anguisa in front of him. And then whether it's Osimin or Simeone or whoever is starting up at the front, it all looks very good. And I think that another big aspect of it, you know, Josh mentioned the attack and Kavara is very, very good and very fun to to watch. You know, he's so direct down that left side. But I think a lot of it is it's really nice to see Spalletti have a team that is starting to thrive because I think he had a reputation of being a very good manager in Italy but one who is often in slightly unfortunate, to put it very, very simply and oversimplify things, in slightly unfortunate situations with the past jobs that he had. You know, he was at AS Roma when Francesco Totti was winding down his career and there was a lot of outrage at how little he was playing Totti and all these politics, etc. And then he was at Inter Milan when there was still sort of a little bit banter era-ish, just a little bit banter era-ish. And he'd never really got the opportunity to truly thrive in a lot of their misfortune was pinned on him and so now you see him at Napoli where there's still pressure don't get me wrong but perhaps a much better situation overall with the squad and you can see that Napoli's scouting system is just so good finding players like Kvaradana from uh, Batumi over in Georgia and the way that they play I don't know if you guys saw any of the goals against Ajax or the match itself or any of their matches this season really Filippo this is something for you to watch is watch how they build out from the back and the sort of automations that Spalletti has ingrained in this team it's basically one touch passing from the back it goes from you know the fullback to the central midfielder out to the winger back inside to the striker then an overlapping run from Cavada down the left it's just Stunning stuff to watch. And I'm really interested to see if they can continue on this trajectory. Because currently, as you said, they're blowing everyone away in their Champions League group and in Serie A. So it's, and you look at all the other Serie A teams. AC Milan has a crazy injury list right now and are not looking like themselves. Inter Milan are not looking like themselves. Juve are definitely not themselves. It does feel like Napoli are the out and out leaders, despite being on level points with Atalanta, who. It's a weird Atalanta this season, isn't it? They're sort of getting 1-0 wins as opposed to their 
six fours and stuff from the past. So they used to be known for just scoring a lot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That that was basically their identities. They lost that identity. They but became still Italian. Getting, they, became they became Italian. That's it. They they really <laughs> embraced their inner Italian. But yeah, it's it's interesting to see if they'll be able to keep it up at the top of the table because. One thing's for sure, Napoli are the most entertaining team, for me at least, to watch in Europe right now. One thing before, because there's another story that I want to go through in this group, but Napoli last season, if I'm not mistaken, they started the season very hot also, and they cooled off. I remember they were leading the Serie A early on. I don't remember the overall circumstances of that, if it was as deep into the season as they are now, even though it's still early. But they also did have a very good start to the season and kind of fell off. Didn't have a bad year, but definitely didn't keep up with what we're seeing now. And maybe I'm wrong with that. Maybe my memory's not working as well. So don't hold me accountable for what I just said. But the other story, Adrian, and I'm going to bring this one back to you. I don't know how much Josh has been following this and probably a quick one. Darwin Nunes for Liverpool. He's been getting goal scoring opportunities, but he he's not scoring maybe as much as many would expect. What are your thoughts on that? What's going on there with Darwin Nunes? And Liverpool, too. I guess we could even say Liverpool, at least in the Premier League right now, they're qualifying the champion, but in the Premier League, they're definitely um, underachieving from what's expected from them. Yeah, they are. They really are. And we've seen Klopp... I mean, a lot of it is down to their defense. I mean, Virgil van Dijk does not look like himself. Trent Alexander-Arnold. I know that there's a lot of Alexander-Arnold sort of defenders out there, pun intended. Um his defensive side of his game, it's just too many examples of of miscues from him, of, you know, sort of lackadaisical defending, of not protecting his back post or being aware of who's at the back post. We've just seen it too many times. Virgil van Dijk starting to make crazy mistakes that we never would have expected of him. So he switched to that 4-2-3-1 to sort of cover that back line a little bit. I don't know if he'll continue in that direction. But the other sort of issue, if you want to look at it as an issue, is, of course, Darwin Nunez, as you mentioned, in the attack. Now, it's too bad because he was on such a great run of form for them. I know it was preseason, but he scored four goals against RB Leipzig. Then he came on and changed the game for Liverpool against Manchester City in the Community Shield. Then he came on and he changed the game once again for them, getting a goal and an assist against Fulham. And then he got that red card. The meme started to roll in, the disaster class compilations on Twitter, social media. He's been viciously, viciously attacked on social media. And he's a guy who I can say firsthand, not not quite firsthand, I don't know him personally, but from following him at Benfica, of course, when his confidence is low, he is not good. And you notice that the most in his finishing, he snatches at chances, he tries to just blast it and it goes straight at the keeper or over the bar or what have you. He has absolutely no composure when his confidence is low. And that's what we saw in the first season at Benfica. He had very little confidence, but he was still getting into those positions. So his instincts around the goal are good. So as I said at the very beginning or this past summer, I was speaking to a lot of different Liverpool channels, etc., getting the lowdown on Darwin Nunez. I always thought that he would be a second season signing. I always thought that his first season, he'd probably get around 10 to 15 goals. He could very well get more than that if he starts to catch fire soon. But he's definitely a second season signing. He needs to build up his confidence. He's even said in an interview recently 
where he was speaking about how his confidence is low right now and he's very much affected by it. So I think that the most important thing, which you highlighted, Filippo, is that he's getting into those scoring positions because that's something that's very difficult to teach to players is their instincts in the box to get into areas where their players can, their teammates can find them, etc. The finishing will come back. I mean, they're certainly hoping that it will come back for 100 million pounds or whatever it was. Um, but yeah, patience is needed with Darwin Nunez. The price tag doesn't help him out at all, but I think that he'll still be an effective player under Klopp. Wasn't he also, weren't there comments that he was struggling with English also? Or is that not true? Yeah, yeah. There was, a, there was an interview where he said that he can't understand Jurgen Klopp's um, sort of match discussions and when he's telling the team what they need to do, et cetera, et cetera. So he's leaning on guys like Luis Diaz and Thiago and Fabinho to sort of relay that information to him. So that's a little bit of a block as well. And once he's able to actually communicate with the manager better, then that's just going to expedite the process even further. Yeah, all, all of that will... It, it seems like Darwin is more of something that will just click eventually. Uh, I wouldn't be too worried if I was a Liverpool fan. Probably going to be a rough season for him overall. Maybe he won't even get those 15 goals that you just said. Maybe he won't even get 10. But he could just click and he's finding space. He's getting opportunities. The finishing will be there. He'll adapt better to England eventually. He's probably struggling to adapt to the country as well. That'll that'll be quick. He's a young player, and I wouldn't be too concerned if I was a Liverpool fan right now. We know how good Darren Nunes can be, and we're probably going to see it during the World Cup for Uruguay. The last story in regards to the UEFA Champions League I want to go through is probably Barcelona. And I don't know who's going to want to take this over because Barcelona, to me this season, they're still an enigma. I don't know. The, the season started off and Barcelona was looking amazing in terms of signings and many were saying Barcelona's back. And I, I and at times we feel like they're back, right? They're leading La Liga. They're tied with Real Madrid, but they're finally leading. It looks like they could win La Liga. We'll see. In 7 games they scored 19 goals and they only allowed one. So they've been looking good in that sense. But in the Champions League, they they're in third place right now, three points behind Inter Milan, six points behind Bayern. And there's a legitimate risk of them being sent to the Europa League once again for the second consecutive season. I don't even know if that, I don't think that ever happened. I don't know. You, can, you guys can go through that maybe if you know. The NFL action is in full swing at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. Check this out. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. To make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day, all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TBPN to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code TBPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Lately, I've been listening to a lot of tactical yanks, and it's been great. One reason it's been great to listen to, because I use my Raycon wireless earbuds to do it. Raycon's everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. With optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit, these earbuds are so comfortable and they will not budge, trust me. Raycon's give you 8 hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life. Raycon's are priced just right, you get quality audio at half the price of other premium audio brands. 
It's no wonder Raycon's everyday earbuds have over 50,000 five-star reviews. Raycon earbuds have three sound profiles so you can have a personalized listening experience, as well as an awareness mode where you can hear the world around you. Whether you're doing the most intense exercise or just sitting around, Raycon earbuds are perfect for you. Go to buyraycon.com TBPN today to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com TBPN to score 15% off. Buyraycon.com TBPN. So there's been a lot of talk about how they can't win on the road. And I want to bring up this to you, Josh, or Adrian, whoever wants to go through Barcelona. I personally am following Real Madrid more than Barcelona. So what's going on in Barcelona here? Are they back? Are they not back? Uh, what's happening there in Camp Nou? It's, it's kind of weird because it goes back to last season in the Champions League as well, doesn't it? Because it's in the last three matches they played away from home in the Champions League under Xavi, they have not scored a single goal, which is a little bit surprising, especially when you look at the players that they brought in this season. Now, of course, you can... You can give them a little bit of credit in that they haven't been exactly the easiest of teams to go away to. You know, it's it's Inter Milan at San Siro. It's Bayern Munich at Allianz Arena. And I believe the last season it might have been for their last away game. It might have been Bayern as well. So not exactly the easiest of matches. But with the players that they have on the pitch, Rafinha, Dembele, Lewandowski, then they have, you know, Pedri and Gavi behind them, etc. You would expect a lot better, wouldn't you? So it all looks a little bit, when they're coming up against these teams that would sit back and defend, they really start to struggle. Um, and we saw that against Inter. It was The game plan was basically give the ball to Dembele and have him cross it into the box. And that was about it, Filippo. How much of that do you think it's a bit of like positional play? Because I see this quite often. Sometimes positional play works against bunkering teams. But at least from my experience in, in soccer watching and everything, usually more fluidity and freedom to the players work a bit better against bunkering teams. Uh, and Xavi loves posi positional play is a very Barcelona-like thing. right? We've seen that the past decade. It could be a bit of that. And I've seen Brazil struggle with that when Chichi tried to implement positional play. And then Brazil becomes a lot better in breaking down low blocks when there's a lot of freedom for the players to roam and fluidity. So it could be a bit of that from a tactical standpoint, but I haven't really watched them enough play play to, you know, have a legitimate opinion. That's the best. Does anyone want to add anything else to Barcelona? Josh? Yeah, I mean... Adrian kind of touched up, man. I don't think, I wouldn't say that they're 100% back, but I mean, the start to their season in La Liga has been nothing short of incredible. Besides that opening match where they drew nil-nil, they're, they're six, like you mentioned, 6-1-0. Oh, they've only conceded one goal and scored 19. Like, that's an incredible start to the season. They're sitting in first place. They now have a goal scorer like Robert Lewandowski, and there's a goal he just scored um, over the weekend to get them the three points, and they didn't play well at all. Uh, they didn't look like the goal was ever going to come, and they just had someone of the quality of Lewandowski who took on the defender a little little cut back and then just swung it post and it was a gorgeous goal from someone who's one of the if not the best number nines in the world um but in the match against Inter and Adrian kind of touched on it I mean it's almost like it's almost like once the Chalnalu goal went in which was a just a, a hit out of nothing um it was completely against the run of play it's like they they panicked and, and Xavi said all right well this is what all we're gonna do is is crosses and I believe the stat don't 100% quote me on it but I believe they had 35 crosses into the box and I mean, obviously, Inter could just deal with it. They 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 found a way to deal with it. I, I was watching a little bit of the game um, towards the end there, and 
and I probably watched the last 15 minutes because I think there's like 10 minutes or something like added, added on. And the amount of the times that the ball was, was it was singular. It was to Dembele, it was whip it in the box, and then it was relatively easily defended. So I don't know if it was a little naive on Shabby's part to just kind of, I don't know, hit the panic button and said, all right, this is all we're going to do. You have such creative players in the midfield. They completely went away from that and went to the side. So I don't, I don't know. It, it, it looked hilarious, but it looked like they were doing that for a while. And that 35 crosses is something else. And, and it's kind of shocking that maybe Lewandowski couldn't get on at the end of even one of those. Yeah. Sounds like Berhalter ball, by the way. <laughs> it sounds like Berhalter ball. It sounds like, you know, Moyes at Manchester United, something like that. But I think also just the last thing that I'll say here is in fairness to them, a couple of those crosses, and I know it's not a very good percentage, but a couple of those crosses resulted in one, the handball that was not given as a penalty, which it, I think should have. And then two, the goal that they did score, which was called back due to Ansu Fati's hand getting in the way. So when you look at it that way, we can cut them a little bit of slack, but still, it was pretty uninspiring stuff from a uh, more dynamic attack. There wasn't much dynamism to it. It was strictly Dembele and, uh, and Prey, basically. Okay, so moving on from Barcelona and even Champions League, before we move, actually, one quick thing before we move on, I'm just going to quickly go through all the groups to update our listeners on what the situation is. Group A, Napoli is in first, Liverpool second, Ajax, followed by Ajax and Rangers. Group B, we have Club Brugge leading the group, followed by Porto, Bayer Leverkusen, and Atletico Madrid in last place. Group C, and all these are with three rounds played already, okay? So we have we're halfway through. And it'll end this month. Well, early November before the World Cup. Group C, Bayern first, Inter Milan second, followed by Bar- Barcelona and Victoria Plezen. Group D, we have Sporting from Portugal in first, followed by Tottenham, Eintracht Frankfurt and Olympique Marseille. Group E, we have RB Salzburg leading the group, followed by Chelsea, then AC Milan in third place and Dinamo Zagreb in fourth. Group F, Real Madrid, the current champions lead the group with three wins in three games, followed by Shakhtar Donetsk from Ukraine, RB Leipzig from Germany, and and Scottish Giants, Celtic. Group G, you have Man City leading the group, followed by Borussia Dortmund, Sevilla, and Copenhagen. And Group H, we have PSG in first, Benfica in second. Tied in points, by the way. Both teams have seven. Shout out to Benfica, their agent. They pulled the draw with PSG. In uh, was it a Stadio da Luz? Is that where it, it was? It was indeed. And Mr. Yeah. Neymar got pocketed by an 18 year old. Don't worry, he'll he'll bring his game to the World Cup. And then Juventus in third, and then Maccabi Haifa from Israel in fourth. That's it for the Champions League section of this podcast. Besides one quick thing, Josh, we talk about them quite a bit. Adrian follows it somewhat. How did the CONCACAF players do in the Champions League this midweek? I mean. I thought Davies had a pretty good match. It's hard to judge because, like, when it comes down to Bayern taking on Victoria Pilsen, I mean, it, there wasn't much to it. They, it, it, it was a it was a walk in the park. But I mean, Davies looked really good. Um, he was involved in a few few of the quick buildups and some of the goals that Bayern had. Was really really impressed. Um, Kyle Lahren did not feature for Club Bruges, but Tejon Buchanan came back and started his first start, uh, which was pretty incredible. And he looked looked the part. He was causing mayhem to the Atletico defense all night long. They were stretching the back line. He was using his pace. He ended up getting an assist as well, which was pretty cool. I did. I don't. Did, did Pulisic didn't come on at all, did he? But Des did. 
Pulisic did not. Uh, Death Death stayed, and it was a horrible performance, to be quite honest. It was a horrible. I guess I saw you tweeting about it a little bit as well. I was kind of, like I said, mentioning flicking back and forth. Yeah, um, between dude. The problem is, some Americans are like, "Oh, he's doing fine." It's like, guys, if you think that performance was doing fine, you hold Sergio Dest to a very low standard because it was a very (laughs) bad performance. His first touch was off. His passes were accurate when he played it safe, just passing it sideways or back. He got like he. Okay, to be fair, he he probably looked fine on offense the first 10-15 minutes. That that he did look fine. Defensively, the second goal, he played a big role on helping Chelsea get that goal, allowing Ben Chua to make the run behind him. So, look, it, it was a bad performance. I don't care what people say. It, it's just <laughs> being non-biased, that's what the performance was. Pulisic didn't play. McKinney played. I didn't really watch it because I was watching the AC Milan game. I also watched Malik Tillman play against Liverpool, and it was a very poor performance from Rangers in general, facing a much superior opponent. So Tillman didn't look too good either, but to be fair, the whole team didn't. And even to Dest, right? AC Milan didn't look good against Chelsea for that game. No, they, they, uh, they didn't. And there's two Mexicans that went head-to-head. Um, Chucky Lozano won a 6-1 win, played all 90 against Alvarez, who was yeah. on the, the back end of that. So, I mean, at least... From the Mexican perspective, you can take a look and be like, all right, well, Chucky had a good one, but that was definitely a match to forget for Alvarez and Ajax in general. But overall, I'd say, I'd say there's a, I'd say there's no real middle except for maybe Weston who had a, an okay match. But there was a couple pretty decent highs from some of our Concacaf players, and there was a a couple a couple lows. Yeah, I, I would say it was maybe a bit disappointing. I think, um, and and also you talked about Davies having a good game. We normally expect that from him, right? Anyway, so for Davies to have an outstanding game, he would probably need like a goal, a couple assists, right? And also Bayern faced a weaker opponent and they just ran over them. Yeah, it wasn't like he, he looked good, but yeah, as you said, it was it was expected. Um, Tejon, I think from the Canadian one, the, the big takeaway uh, was probably Eustachio got a win as well in Buchanan, but I mean, Eustachio has been playing very well of late. He, was, he, had, a, he had a strong performance as well. Porto picked up a win. Um, three Canadians picking up three wins for three different clubs in the same uh, match day. So that was kind of cool, but it was Buchanan making the return. It was really exciting. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, decent for really good for the Canadians. And then some of the other, other nations were, were okay, but, uh, CONCACAF entirely probably like, you know, a little, little hit or miss. Last but not least, uh, before we go to MLS decision day and close the podcast, Cristiano Ronaldo, right? And I think there's. At least I have a lot to say about it. I know Adrian will too. Maybe Josh will have more to talk about in the Major League Soccer section. Uh, but Cristiano Ronaldo, as a Man United fan, and then Adrian as a fellow Portuguese-Canadian, I think what's happening right now is we've seen already the end of an era, right? Cristiano's nowhere near what he once was, part because of, you know, father time. Time catches on to everyone. He is... How old is Cristiano right now, Adrian? 37? 37, that's right. 37. He turns 38, I believe, early 2023. So he's closer to 38 than he was to 37 at this point. He's not looking good for Man United. Uh, I do think a little bit what plays a role is he doesn't look happy when he's on the field. His, even surprisingly, even looks like his confidence is shooken up, even though even the great Cristiano Ronaldo, right, that nothing can shake up his confidence. But even that, against Omonia that they faced um, on Thursday, 
for the Europa League, where Mix Discarude, by the way, started for them, not for Man United, for Omonia. And they won 3-2. Cristiano missed a goal like five yards away from it. Like he, he just hit the post on his own. It was bad. Um, couldn't hit the target. Sometimes the first touch was awful. Just doesn't look like himself. I don't know how much of that is age, how much of that is his confidence. He did go through issues. He lost a child, right? Um, um, not so long ago. That definitely has to hit you as a human being. Uh, so I don't know what's going on with Cristiano. But what I do know is that he does have to leave Man United. He has to go somewhere where he feels happy. Uh, whether that's going to be going back to Portugal and playing for Sporting, that's one thing to say. Whether it's going to be going to Major League Soccer and just having a good time, making some good money, and you know not having much the pressure to perform, that can be another option. But it's just, and again, people think sometimes I'm a Ronaldo. I'm a big Ronaldo fan. I'm not a Ronaldo hater. I do think Messi's the better player, but I think his time with United is done. I think even his time at the highest level of soccer is done. And me and Adrian know we agree with one thing is if Portugal wants to be a World Cup contender, which, by the way, I do think they have the pieces, the players, to be a World Cup contender, Cristiano Ronaldo has to be a super sub, a leader, embrace the role as a super sub. And if he does that and they start maybe Rafael Leon as the center forward, I think that team is a World Cup contender. But if Cristiano's starting and everyone feeling the need to pass him the ball and him being the man where he's not the man anymore, That'll be a problem for Portugal in the World Cup, along with their coach. But the coach ain't leaving. But Ronaldo can definitely embrace a super sub role. But Adrian, as you're Portuguese, right, as well, and it's one of your national teams alongside Canada, what are your thoughts on Cristiano right now? It's it's tough because even sort of putting the idea out there that perhaps he shouldn't be starting, a lot of people will react violently um, towards that sort of notion just because of Cristiano the Ronaldo and the player that he was, which is unfortunate to use that word was because he was such a game changer. He was such a big game player. He scored for fun. He had so much confidence, as you said. Um, and it just quite clearly isn't working for him in this moment. Um, and you saw, I think that the game against Ammonia was a perfect sort of encapsulation. He can still have something to offer. That ball to Rashford, I believe it was. Was it Rashford or Martial? I can't remember. I think it was Rashford. That ball to Rashford was brilliant for one of their goals. It was a really, really good ball. But when it comes to the finishing and his first touch, his first touch, to be honest with you, I think that it's been sort of going down the drain a little bit in the last two years or so you started to notice a bit of a drop off and it just gets it gets stuck in his feet far too often in the past a Ronaldo in his prime it was one touch boom goal if he even needed one touch right sometimes it would be just a first time finish and I think that that's almost what he has to start to work towards it's just becoming a first time finisher because once he starts to dwell on the ball once it starts to get caught in his feet he's getting closed down far too quickly because he doesn't have those first few steps of acceleration anymore like he used to and when he was a player that was so I wouldn't want to say dependent but his physicality was what elevated him above so many other people once you lose that you're starting to just rely upon how good your first touch is. And when your first touch isn't there, then you start to get closed down quickly. And he's seeing that happen before his eyes. He's seeing these things that he used to be capable of not work for him anymore. And that's got to be really difficult on his mental. And as you said, he did lose a child during childbirth. 
that is horrible. You know, anyone who's had to live with any sort of grief, you don't know when it's going to hit you. You know, he was in the middle of the season when it happened and he just went right back to work and he started to put in more performances for United where he was still scoring goals, etc. But then you have a summer off and that's when it starts to hit you. So I think that that's definitely something that we need to consider when we're talking about Cristiano Ronaldo. But like you said, when it comes to Portugal, the biggest issue is, of course, Fernando Santos, because if he chose to have a conversation with Ronaldo and say, look, we're going to start you off of the bench and we'll bring you on for the last 20, 30 minutes. I think that him coming off the bench for 20, 30 minutes at the end of the game to give defenders something different to think about, mostly the aerial threat and that first time finish in the box, he could be incredibly impactful. But like you said, the entire team is just sort of brainwashed to get the ball to Ronaldo, get the ball to Ronaldo. And when Ronaldo isn't delivering on his end of things, then it just feels like a bunch of missed opportunities. Well, not just that. I do think Ronaldo, regardless of being a bench player or not, he his leadership in that team is very important to have him around. He needs to be there. He has a winner's mentality. All the players respect him. And again, not just that, Adrian, the World Cup, when you're out of the group stage, games can go to penalty shootouts and you might need a leadership like a player that provides that leadership like Cristiano and he can take a PK, call in the responsibility for himself. So there's no way I would leave Cristiano out of the World Cup if I'm the Portuguese manager. No way. That would be nonsense. But I do think he should be a backup, a super sub. And I mean, obviously, if Leon is injured and they don't have other options, you go with Cristiano Ronaldo, still one of the greatest players of all time. But I don't think he should start. And I think what happens at times is um, Fernando Santos probably doesn't have the courage to do that, right? Do you think that can play a role maybe, Adrian? They could just afraid, right? You're afraid of going to Cristiano Ronaldo, the greatest Portuguese player of all time, one of the best players of all time, and go to him like, look, man, if we want to win, we're going to have to bench you. I think he's afraid of doing it. He is. He is because the alternative is you don't start Cristiano Ronaldo. And then if you fail to win, the entire country, the entire world of Ronaldo backers are going to be all over your back now because you didn't start Cristiano Ronaldo and then that becomes the reason as to why your team didn't win. So it's a bit of a tough situation for Fernando Santos, but like you said, if he had that courage to just go to him, have that conversation and say, look, for this game in particular, because I do think there are games where Ronaldo should be starting, you know? he can still offer something on the field. We saw that against Ammonia, even if his finish was completely not there. He still draws defenders away because he is Cristiano Ronaldo. He still has the ability to make a pass. He still makes these good runs, etc. But it's just with the finishing leaving him, it should at least be a conversation, right? That's what we're saying. It should be a conversation. Yeah, but it, right now it looks like he is still the Cristiano that's a locked-in starter, no questions asked. He has to play, end of the game. And that might come back to bite Portugal. But as you told me in the past, lucky for Portugal, it's a young enough generation that they have the post-Ronaldo era to try to succeed. However, it would be much more fun and better to see them succeed with Cristiano being involved. Regardless, to wrap things up here in the podcast, and I want to bring Josh. Josh, MLS Decision Day is here. There's some exciting stories. There's some non-so-exciting stories of teams that already are locked in the playoffs or teams that are already out of the playoffs. So I'll start with you, Josh, and I'll give most of it to you. I can briefly talk about Orlando City and what I saw over the midweek versus Inter-Miami, which was horrible, to say the least. But Josh, take it from here. 
Yeah, uh, decision day is fun. I mean, last year came right down to like the final kick of the season, which knocked the Galaxy out of the playoffs, got RSL in. There's still a lot of clubs that could potentially miss out. I mean, there's a direct matchup, which is always a really fun one. It's 7v8, Columbus versus Orlando. It's your your side there, tacked. And I mean, both aren't in great form. Orlando has lost four to their last five. They do not look good right now. And and Columbus, despite not having near as bad as a record, they've tied so many games this season. It's it's a ridiculous number. And the worst part is that they've lost a ton of points after being in winning positions. They've tied four of their last six, including being up 2-0 in the last match that would have, I'm pretty sure, almost guaranteed them playoffs. Um, other than that, Inter-Miami, with Higuain announcing that his he's going to retire, qualified for the playoffs, leaving Cincinnati, Columbus, and Orlando up for grabs. And in the West, Nashville clinched in the last week as well, which means that Portland, Minnesota, Real Salt Lake, and Vancouver are the teams with places up to grabs. And another fun head-to-head is Minnesota versus Vancouver. If Vancouver wins, they need a couple of results to go their way, but there's a lot to play for. Supporters' Shield, which, I mean, has its opinions on how much it's actually valued, but it's already been won by LAFC. But I'm always excited for Decision Day because, like I mentioned, even last year comes down to the very last kick of the season. So... It'll be a lot of fun. A couple of Canadian teams. Well, one Canadian team is already in in Montreal, and Vancouver has a chance. But, uh, but tact. I guess one, like literally one of the most important games is is your Orlando City taking on Columbus. Uh, what are, what are your thoughts on that one? You, well, you didn't seem optimistic talking to me before the show. I mean, I'm excited for this game because it's pretty much a playoff round, right? Where if Columbus gets the draw, they advance. If we win, Orlando, we advance. So. It's pretty much a playoff round, so it's going to be an exciting game. The game's going to be in Orlando. I still don't know if I'm going to go. I have some stuff going on on Sunday. I'll be able to watch the game. I just don't know if I can go all the way to downtown Orlando to watch the game. Uh, my, my feeling is this. Uh, Orlando won the U.S. Open Cup. My fear is that the players, the coaching staff, the board, they sort of feel like the season is already a success, regardless of what happens. That's my issue. Which, if they make the playoffs and win the U.S. Open Cup, I would consider it a success. Even if we lose in the first round. But you got to qualify to the playoffs. That is my fear. Um, against Inter-Miami, I saw a team that it looked like a pickup team at times. Right, We were down 4-0 at minute like 60 or so. We let Inter-Miami score 30 seconds into the game or 40, whatever it was when Campana scored that beautiful goal for Inter-Miami. So I'm just, it's not that I'm not excited for the game itself. I'm, I'm just afraid that Orlando might just not really care as much as we think. That's my main concern right now. But overall, it'll be a fun weekend, decision day. The games will be all played on Sunday, right? The first part of it, which is the Eastern Conference, will be at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And then the Western Conference, well, yeah, the Western Conference is at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. So it's a little bit later. Rightfully so, because the West Coast is a earlier time zone. But boys, any final thoughts, words, anything you want to say? Any, any, any shout outs you want to give to anyone? Say hi to your uncle, your mom, your grandma, anyone? Hi, Manuel. Hope you're, hope you're enjoying Germany. We miss you. Yeah. Besides, no grandma, no aunt, anyone, Adrian? Uh, happy Thanksgiving to all the Canadians out there. Uh, enjoy the food and the sleep that follows. Thanksgiving, dude, it's October. Canadian Thanksgiving. We do it a little bit early. Why? Don't know. Couldn't tell you. Uh, oh, Terrace and Phillips land. What, what can you do about it? Well, everyone, thank you very much for listening. If you made it this far in the podcast, please drop a review, preferably five stars, even if you hate us. 
Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you guys next week. Thank you.